Do you have Do you have this experience when you're watching TV or you see something like like that and you and and you recognize people aren't wearing masks and you're like, what What world are they living in? I mean, you, you can't just you can't just be walking around, <laughs> greeting, shaking people's hands and stuff. Um, yeah, it's a different world, isn't it? Uh, we're We're starting a new series today called "A Day in the Life of a Normal Christian," and uh, our goal in this series is just to define some terms, help uh, us all get on the same page about what we mean when we say what a Christian is or what a disciple is, what a follower follower of Jesus is, so that um, we, when we when we embrace what what is this normal lifestyle of a Christian that we're being true to, to the way that Jesus taught us how to do this and the way that the New Testament writers laid this out for us. Because uh, I think sometimes uh, we, we need some course correction, and we need to be reminded what normal should really look like. So what's normal look like for, for you? What, what is your culture? What culture do you live in? That's, that's what n- culture means is this is what's normal. The way uh, the marketer Seth Godin says it is culture is saying people like us do things like this. That's culture. People like us do things like this. So what is the culture of the Midwest or maybe more specifically central Indiana? What's, what's cultural here that may not be cultural everywhere? Well, I, I'm not from here, so I can tell you a few things in case you need uh, some insight. Sometimes it's hard to see your own culture, uh, so you, you have to get an outsider's view. Uh, one of the things that's cultural here is you can expect to see farm machinery on the roads in the spring and fall. That's normal. That's, that's part of the culture. People like us do things like this. I did not anticipate that, and the first time I saw a combine coming at me, I, I freaked out. I mean, like, I, I almost just stopped and turned around and went back the other direction, like, running away because I didn't know what to do and if this is okay, and where are the police, and like, I, I just didn't understand. But that's normal here. That's cultural, right? Another thing that's normal here that you, you may not recognize is cultural is there's a basketball goal in every driveway. That's normal here, right? And it, it doesn't mean that there are kids living in the house. <laughs> Your grandmother has a basketball goal in her driveway. Like, that's just normal. It's cultural, um, in, in central Indiana, it's normal that all the roads run east-west or north-south, and the towns are laid out in very helpful grids, so you cannot get lost. It's impossible to get lost in central Indiana. If you've driven outside of central Indiana, you know that's not the same everywhere. If you go south, if you drive in Kentucky and Tennessee and you're brave enough to get off I-75 down there, um, it gets crazy real quick. I mean, the roads are going all different directions, you know, and you have, you have no idea which direction you're going at any given time. That, that's cultural here. Uh, and um, there, there's, an, there's an accent. Everywhere you go, there's, there's a cultural accent, the way that people talk. People like us talk like this. Now, what I've uh, found to be interesting is Midwesterners claim that they don't have an accent. Have, have you ever said that before? You ever thought that? We don't have an accent. We talk normal. Everyone else talks weird. Not true, friends. You have an accent here in the Midwest. All I know is people don't say all I know is everywhere. And uh, what, is the de- what is the word, uh, ope? Like you bump into somebody, ope? You drop something on the floor. Oh, like, what is that? O-P-E? That's not a word. I don't know what you're saying. It's just, but you guys do it. It's just subconscious and it just comes out of your mouth. Oh, that's Midwestern cultural. You have an accent. Everybody thinks that the way they talk is normal, but Midwesterners are, are really convinced that the way you talk is normal and everybody else is weird. But there are, there are some things that are cultural. This is what's normal here. 
And then there are subcultures within the culture. There are, are smaller groups within each culture. And so there's a, there's a fitness subculture. And, and what is the fitness subculture? What's normal for people who are really into fitness? Well, you exercise a lot and you eat healthy or you eat weird, which is what I would say, you eat weird. Um, just because it's different from me. But that's, that's fitness subculture. There's a, there's a finance subculture. People who are really good with their money, they know where every dollar goes and, and they're, they're good at investing and saving and spending slowly. Like there's, that's a subculture. And there's a Christian subculture in, in our in the central Indiana, in the Midwest, in our nation, there is a Christian subculture. So what's normal in the Christian subculture? And is what's normal in the Christian subculture the way that Jesus sort of laid out the Christian life for us? I think sometimes we see people do things in the name of Jesus or wearing the name Christian, and we kind of go, ugh, is that... Is that what, who we are? Is that who we are as Christians? Is that what we do as Christians? That, like that, that doesn't seem like the way of Jesus, but it's people wearing the name of Christ or calling themselves Christians that do things and we kind of go, I don't know if that fits the Christian culture that Jesus created and his disciples lived out. Doesn't seem to be that. So what that means is we have redefined Christianity in our culture, and it means something different now than it originally meant. For example, for most of you, if I were to ask you, because you're in church on a Sunday morning or you're watching online on a Sunday morning, if I were to ask you if you're a Christian, you would probably say yes, and, and that would be a pretty easy answer for you. But what if I asked you, are you a disciple of Jesus? Does that feel different? Does that, is it, did you have to pause and think about that a little bit? Well, I know I'm a Christian because I go to church and I think I'm going to heaven when I die. I don't know if I'm a disciple. That's, that feels a little different. What if I asked you, are you a Jesus-centered person? Are you living a Jesus-centered life? Does that feel different? Do you kind of go, uh, Jesus-centered? What I mean, do you mean like my whole life revolves around my confidence that Jesus is my Lord? I don't know. That, that feels different. And we probably get fewer yeses to that. But in reality, a Christian and a disciple and a Jesus-centered person should all mean the same thing. To be a Christian means I orient my life around my choice to follow Jesus. Like everything in my life flows out of my choice to follow Jesus. That's what it's supposed to mean to be a Christian. But when we look at around in the world and we see the things that Christians do, things that people do in the name of Jesus, we kind of go, That's, that doesn't seem to be flowing from a place where Jesus is Lord and Jesus is in control. So how do we get away with that? Well, we just redefine the word Christian to mean somebody who sort of vaguely believes that they're going to go to heaven when they die. It's never, it's never what Christian meant. Christian always meant disciple. It always meant a Jesus-centered person. That's what's normal. So through this series, we're going to take some time to look at what's normal for a Christian, according to the biblical definition. So we're going to look at the life of Jesus. That's where we should get that, right? Christian uh, it has Christ in it. That means this is about who Jesus is and the way that he lived and what he, he's invited us into in the world. So we're going to look at Jesus's life, and we're going to kind of read between the, the big stories. We're going we're gonna to kind of skip like, the miracles and all the main teachings, and we're going to look at what did Jesus do just on a daily basis? What did, what did he do on a daily basis? One thing that Jesus did uh, that was sort of a, just a pattern of his life is he chose a slower pace of life. 
intentionally chose a slower pace of life. If Jesus did it, then I think we should pay attention to that. And we need to evaluate our own pace of life sometimes. How many times in the last couple weeks, or have you, have you thought in the last couple weeks, I am just so busy. My life, everything is going so fast in my life. I'm not sure, I'm not sure how I'm gonna keep up. I, I get a little overwhelmed sometimes. My calendar stays so full. Anybody felt that way in the last few weeks, months? Second question, how many of you in the last few weeks or months have thought that you have really honestly made the best use of all of your time? Like, I, I, I just use all of my time well. I make every minute count. Isn't that strange that, that we, we sort of have this fast-paced, full-schedule, busy life, and yet we're also in our honest moments, admitting, I don't actually use my time that well. <laughs> What's wrong with us? We're really special uh, human beings, aren't we? That we can, we can hold those two things sort of at the same time. And here are some assumptions that I think that we make because of sort of the, the busy schedule. And this is a cultural thing. It is culturally normal for people to be busy. That's what's normal here. People like us do things like this we, we live normal, busy lives. And so we make a few assumptions. The assumptions are that saving time will improve the quality of my life. If I can do it quicker, if I can find a shorter route, if I can find a shorter checkout line, if, if I can do it faster, that improves the quality of my life. Doing something fast is better than doing it slow. That's, that's an assumption that we make. And I think we make the assumption that busyness is just a way of life. Like, this is just, because everyone else seems to be busy, too, you greet people and you're like, hey, how you doing? How you been? Well, I've been busy. You've been busy. I've been busy. I'm, you're busy. I'm busy. We're all busy. Like, that's just normal. And we, so we assume, like, that's just life. Everybody is busy, and we don't really have a choice about it. But those assumptions reflect what I would kind of call a production-focused life, sort of a life that says, my peace and my joy come from the things that I get done, being able to accomplish stuff and check things off a list and, 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 ha- and being just occupied all the time, that's what brings me peace and joy. There's, there's another option. There's, a, there's a, what I would call a relational or relationship-focused life that would say my peace and joy actually come from my relationships with God and with the people around me. Now, in a relationship-focused life, those assumptions that we mentioned earlier are not true. In a relationship-focused life, it's not true that doing something quicker improves the quality of your life. It's not true that faster is always better than slower. It's not true in a relationship-focused life that busyness is just the way things are. In a relationship-focused life, busyness is a choice that we make. And Jesus chose slow. He chose slow, steady pace through life. One of the ways that we we can see that is how much Jesus walked. So we're going to talk about walking today. Jesus walked a lot, and I'm going to kind of prove it through Scripture and maps. And then we're going to talk about what that means for us, because it it seems like something that's not spiritual at all. Like, why are we talking about walking? You know, everybody walks. How's this? a sermon topic. See, he's really stretching it here. He's really grasping at straws. No, I'm not. I don't think, anyway. Anyway, you decide for yourself. So first, let's talk about where Jesus walked. Where, where did Jesus walk? So Jesus lived in, in ancient Israel, and he spent most of his time in this town called Capernaum on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. That was sort of his home base of operations during his time of ministry. 
And so we're going to read some scripture and kind of see, based on Jesus sort of operating out of Capernaum, how much did he walk? So Matthew 11, 20 and 21, let's read this. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. So he mentions uh, two towns here first, and then the other two we'll get to later, Chorazin and Bethsaida. And he, he says, I've done a lot of miracles in Chorazin and Bethsaida. So that means he was in these two towns a lot. Well, where are these towns in relation to Capernaum? So if you look at the map here, uh, Google Maps is awesome, and uh, you can find a lot of interesting things. So you can see Capernaum right there on the, the north uh, shore of the Sea of Galilee, and then you see Chorazin at the top of your map there, and the reason why there's not a straight line is because it's a, there's a hill, a big mountain between uh, Capernaum and Chorazin. You have to go around, and it's a two-hour hike through the hills from Capernaum to Chorazin, and Jesus made this trip, apparently, a lot. Two-hour walk through the hills, a lot. When was the last time you walked two hours anywhere? <laughs> Some of you like to hike. Maybe you go on hikes. You go, you know, uh, look for waterfalls or whatever it is. And, and a two-hour hike through the woods sounds like a good time to you. But he did this a lot. He also went to Bethsaida a lot. Where's Bethsaida? From Capernaum, Bethsaida is sort of in uh, the same general direction and is also a two-hour hike through the hills. And he did this a lot. Jesus, this is sort of like a, a, a circle, a circuit that he made, was he, these two-hour walks through the hills to Chorazin and Bethsaida. Okay. Uh, next, um, Mark chapter 6, verse 3. These are people talking about Jesus. Jesus is in Nazareth where he grew up, and now he's back and he's preaching and teaching and doing miracles, and they're trying to figure out who he is. So Mark 6, 3. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? So in, <clears throat> in Nazareth, Jesus is known as a carpenter. <clears throat> As a carpenter, up until the time he was 30 and started his, his public ministry, where did Jesus work? The town of Nazareth was too small, really, to support uh, a full-time carpenter. So Jesus was going to have to go somewhere else to work. Uh, where would he go? Well, during Jesus' lifetime, there was a huge building project going on in a town called Sepphoris, um, which was from Nazareth, guess what? a two-hour hike through the hills. But to get to the road, to go to Sepphoris from Nazareth, um, you, you had to walk up these, these steps that had been built into the side of this hill, 405 steps to get to the road from Nazareth to Sepphoris. 405 steps. You guys like steps? You guys enjoy going up steps? No, we're looking for elevators, right? Where's the elevator? Because I don't want to go up the steps. 405 steps, and Jesus made this trip at least weekly while he was working, probably, in Sepphoris as a carpenter. 405 steps up, two-hour hike through the hills to Sepphoris, work for five days, six days, hike back. Okay, Jesus walked a lot. I'm not done. I just want to drive this point home. <laughs> Matthew 16, 13. <clears throat> now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Caesarea Philippi, uh, the, I love how the, the gospel writers just throw that out. Like while Jesus was in the dairy aisle at Walmart, he turned to his disciples. Like they're in Caesarea Philippi all the time. They're not. Where is Caesarea Philippi from Capernaum? 11-hour walk. And it's just like, well, they, just, they, they went to Caesarea Philippi, and it doesn't happen to mention that it took them all day to get there on their feet. And Jesus went there a few times to Caesarea Philippi. 
One more. Uh, maybe two. I'm not making promises. Matthew 15, 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Now, when it says that Jesus withdrew, this shows up a few times in the Gospels that Jesus withdrew. What it means is that Jesus has been around people a lot, and he needs some peace and quiet. So he's got to get away from all the people that are, that are swarming around him all the time, asking things of him, and he's got to get some peace and quiet. How far does he have to go to get some peace and quiet? From Capernaum, it was a 20-hour walk to Tyre and Sidon. 20 hours, one way. Probably took a couple days to walk one way. And this is how far Jesus had to go to get some peace and quiet. And you're like, I just need to get, go in the bathroom and shut and lock the door and I'm, I'm good. He had to walk 20 hours to find a place where there's some peace and quiet. Jesus walked a lot. And we haven't even mentioned Jerusalem. If Jesus goes to Jerusalem from Capernaum, it's about 100 miles, which would be like walking from here to Fort Wayne. Anybody up for that? Anybody want to take a, take a walk this afternoon from here to Fort Wayne? We couldn't do it in the afternoon. It would take us a couple days, and it would take Jesus three to four to sometimes maybe five days, depending on the route they chose, to go from Capernaum to Jerusalem, which he did at least once a year. That's a lot of walking. Why did Jesus walk so much? Well, the obvious answer is, what choice did he have? They did not have Teslas in, you know, ancient Israel, because that would have been the that would have been my chosen choice. They didn't have bicycles or anything. Like, why? What, what choice did he have? Well, he did have choices. It was not uncommon for a rabbi, somebody that was a popular good teacher, to not travel at all, just to stay in one place because if you had a good reputation, people would come to you. Do you think people would have traveled to see Jesus? Absolutely. In fact, they did all the time. Jesus could have stayed in Capernaum or he could have picked any town and just stayed there, and people would have come to him. But you often find him saying, we gotta go to the next town. We gotta go to the next town. Why? I think part of it is because Jesus was, you know, he, was, he came from the peasants. Like, he was a common person, and he wanted to go to people instead of sort of elevating himself above the others and saying, if you wanna see me, you gotta come to me. He went to people. He chose to walk a lot. Well, if the goal is to cover as much territory as possible, why didn't he have one of his wealthy followers like Matthew or Zacchaeus buy him a horse? I mean, they had horses, right? Couldn't he have bought a horse? I mean, wouldn't that have made things a lot easier and faster? I mean, it cuts this travel time down and at least in half, I don't know how fast horses go. Somebody could tell me later. But it would have been a lot faster and more comfortable to ride a horse, right? Why didn't he do that? Well, again, I think he saw himself as a, a man of the people, and, and most people didn't have horses. So why did he choose to walk? I think there's a lot of good reasons. I just want to share some benefits for you if you're considering, like, maybe I should be walking more. That, I think you should. If you're not walking at all, there's some great benefits. First of all, there's physical health benefits. It's good for your body to walk a lot. And especially for poor people in Jesus's day, they didn't have a very good diet. Their diet was bread and wine. That's pretty much what they had. Some of you are like, sign me up for that diet. I'll do bread and wine all day. No, but that's not a good diet. It's not healthy. And so the more you walked, the, more, the better it was for your body. And those people lived longer. It, walking increases your circulation and it reduces fatigue. It's just good for your body. But it's also good for your mental health. Um, walking actually releases endorphins that reduce the risk of depression. Um, it boosts your morale. It reduces your sensitivity to stress. Walking is good for your mental health. Walking is good for your brain. 
because it increases the blood flow to your brain. And a lot of people will say, I think better when I'm walking, right? You think better. I don't know if those were any of the reasons why Jesus walked. I don't know if he, you know, the science wasn't that developed then. But I think there are a couple things that Jesus probably did know. One is walking puts you in nature, doesn't it? That's, that's why some of you enjoy hiking, because you, you go out in the woods and, and, and you just enjoy being in nature. Why? Nature is inspiring it. It reminds us of our creator and, and that there's diversity in life and everything is not concrete and steel and there's beauty in nature and flowers and birds and trees and squirrels and skunks. And okay, there's some not beautiful things out there too, but nature can be really inspiring. And Jesus was in nature a lot. And this is maybe, I think, the most important reason why Jesus chose to walk a lot is because walking gives you an opportunity to meet people. And Jesus would have met a lot of people on the road, a lot of people on the road. My point is, Jesus really wasn't looking for the quickest, easiest way through life. He wasn't looking for the quickest, shortest checkout line at the grocery store. I think Jesus would have chosen the longest checkout line because in the longest checkout line, you got more time to interact with people. And Jesus was all about interacting with people. And I think for us, I think we need to pay attention to this, that the path to becoming the person you were created to be is not going to be the quick, easy path. The path to becoming the person you were created to be is probably the slow, maybe more challenging path. I came across this uh, guy while I was doing some research for this named Andrew Forstafel. No idea if I'm saying that name correctly. You can look it up. Andrew Forstafel. We're going with that. And when he graduated from college, he didn't know what he wanted to do with his life. And so he decided to take a walk. So he walked from Delaware on the East Coast to California. 4,000 miles. Took him 11 months. Just walked. And on the way, he asked everybody he met one question. What advice would you give to your 23-year-old self? That was a question he asked every person that he met. And he did some audio recordings and he took a lot of notes and he turned this into a book that you can go and buy on Amazon if you like. But I'll give you sort of his summary. Here's what he says. Life is fast and I've found it's easy to confuse the miraculous for the mundane. So I'm slowing down, way down, in order to give my full presence to the extraordinary that infuses each moment and resides in every one of us. I don't know if this guy's a Christian or not, but that sounds like a very spiritual principle. And the idea is if, if we go through life at this fast pace, looking for the quickest way, the most convenience, we're going to miss moments. We're going to miss opportunities to interact, not just with God, but with people. If our schedule has no margin in it, then where is God going to work himself in? God, God steps into the spaces, the margin that we create in our lives. And that's where he does some of his best work. And if, and if we live a life that has no margin and no space, how does God get in there and do what he wants to do? So I, I think what's normal for a Christian, a day in the life of a normal Christian should include a few values. It sh we should value people over convenience. Again, I, I love the checkout line at the grocery store because it's something that I, I face on a weekly basis, and it's a choice, right? You're, 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 you're scanning, and there's, so there's, there's a thousand people in the store, and three checkout lines open, and you're like, all right, what are we going to do here? There's this, this checkout lady is 80. She seems really sweet. Uh, this guy is, is 27, 
And uh, he just is moving. Let's go to the young guy. I think it'll be a lot faster. And you, you're going through the, all this in your head because you're looking for the quickest, easiest way. What if you intentionally chose the longest line? You're like, well, I ain't got time for that. I'm not, I'm not trying to hang out in the grocery store. I just want to get in, get out. But what if you create some margin to have a conversation that could be a blessing to somebody? I don't know. Just, just thinking. If we value people over convenience, that's an opportunity. I think Christians also, it's normal for Christians to value moments over minutes. Moments over minutes. Sometimes our, our day is scheduled down to the minute, and we miss opportunities for moments. And moments happen in relationship with God and with others. And if we're not creating space for moments, we're going to miss a lot. And I think we value future over present. And what I mean by that, that could mean a lot of things. So let me be, be clear. I think you can give your future self a gift by slowing down. I think we think we, we're improving the quality of our lives, and most of the time we're mistaken about that. I think your future self will thank you for slowing down, because my guess is some of the most meaningful moments of your life took place in the unexpected margins. When you didn't have something planned or things didn't go as planned, and God put somebody in your life or created an opportunity for you to see him in a new way. Do your future self a favor and value moments. So two ways, two ways. Uh, I would love to challenge you to slow down, to choose a, a slower pace like Jesus. We're gonna, we're gonna be like Jesus is the goal here. So the first is uh, I wanna encourage you to, to use a slow reading of, of Scripture. Slow reading of Scripture. My hope is that you're reading Scripture on a regular basis, daily, a few times a week at least. But I think we tend to take our busyness and our like quicker is better mentality that comes from our worldly culture and just drop it right into our spiritual life as well and say, well, when it comes to our time, you know, with God, you know, scripture and prayer, quicker is better. And uh, one of the things that we can get caught up in is, I love the Bible app. In the Bible app, great. There's a lot of great devotions on there. But one thing I've noticed is that if I'm doing a Bible app devotion, a lot of those you can do in like two minutes, three minutes maybe. And then if you, if you pray before and after, it's like, you know, we're up to five minutes. And it goes really fast. And then you can check it off the list. And you're like, I did my devotion. I'm good, ready to go for the day. And I just wonder sometimes if that's the best I can do. Is that the best I can do, five minutes? What did I really retain? How much did I grow through that? How, how much did I connect with God? So I just want to challenge you to adopt a slow reading of Scripture. Some of you, you're like, well, I don't even know what that means, how to do that. I, ideally, what you do is you just take some time to pray, ask God to prepare your heart. You choose a small section of Scripture. So if you're on a read the Bible in a year plan, can't do that, can't do that slow. You've got to cover a lot of territory to read the Bible in a year. So it's okay if you want to Take a break from that plan. Just for one week, try slow reading of Scripture. Read a small section, and then look for something in that section that you can meditate on, a value, a promise, a challenge, the character of God, and meditate on that for a while. Just meditate means to, uh, it's, this, it's the word that you would use for a cow chewing its cud. It's like you, you, you chew it for a while, and then you swallow it, and then you bring it back up and you chew it for a while again. I know that's disgusting, but uh, you'll remember that. <laughs> so meditate on it, chew it, swallow it, bring it back up, and then pray some more. We actually have a guide uh, for a model for slow reading of Scripture called Lectio Divina, uh, which just means a spiritual reading. 
And Andy put a guide together for us. You can find those guides at the Welcome Center, or you can find them on our website and app. So I encourage you to grab the Lectio Divina guide and try it for one week. Uh, there are some suggested scriptures on there too. So you, you, all the work is kind of done for you. You can just uh, plug and play there. But find a guide and try slow reading of scripture for one week. The second challenge is take a walk. Walk like Jesus. Walk with some purpose. Now, some of you, you walk regularly anyway, so this is not going to be hard for you. Some of you are like, I don't like walking. Walking is boring or walking is not on my couch or something. Like there's a reason why and you just, you just don't walk or we don't have a good place to walk. Maybe that's part of, part of your situation. Um, and we'll, we'll address some of that. But uh, if you are willing to take a walk every day for a week, I just want to challenge you, try it. And if you don't feel better, if you don't like it, then we can have a conversation. My guess is you will. You'll, you'll feel good. You'll, you'll like this. But there are, we're going to walk with purpose. We're going to walk like Jesus. We're going to walk with purpose. So three purposes to our walk. One, spiritual conversations. Have spiritual conversations with people as you walk. What's a spiritual conversation? Well, it could be anything. It could be, hey, what's something that you're grateful for? What's something that's creating stress or tension in your life? Where, where do you see God at work in your life or in the world? Just, just spiritual conversation. Ask some questions like that with the person that you're walking with. Uh, if you're walking alone or even if you're walking with somebody, I would encourage you to pray as you walk, particularly if you're walking in your neighborhood or somewhere where you're passing residential homes, you know, pray for the people in the homes. Some of you in your neighborhood, you, you know all the people that live there and you can pray for them by name. Uh, some of you don't. You don't. We, Sarah and I took a walk yesterday afternoon, and uh, in a neighborhood next to us, where they're building a lot of new houses, and we we walked through there. We just prayed for the people that are going to be living in those houses, that they would find community there, but they would also find believers who would point them to Jesus with just love and kindness. We pray as you walk. Pray for the people that live there. Pray for your church family that, that we would be united and God would use us. Pray for your community that it would be transformed that we would have uh, change in the social issues that are creating tension and problems in our community and pray about that as you walk. And finally, greet people. As you walk, greet people. Just be willing and open to say hi to everybody that you pass. Just say hi. And some of you are like, I, I don't want to make eye contact with anyone. I'm just, I'm going here and I'm gonna turn around, I'm gonna go home and I'll be done. Walking gives you a chance to greet people. When you're driving in your car, you don't have interaction with the other drivers. Or if you do, it's typically not friendly interaction with the other drivers, right? When you're walking, you, you can interact with people, even more so than golf carting. And some of you are like, well, golf carts are really slow. Yeah, but you don't interact with people on your golf cart all that much. It's just kind of like the golf cart wave. Maybe you do some of that, but walking gives you a chance to slow down and say hi meet people. So, so let me address uh, real quick, those of you that are feeling left out because you live out in the country and you don't have a good place to walk, um, go to a good place to walk. I mean, you, you can walk on your, on, your, on your property, on your road or what, wherever you are, um, but at least maybe once a week, uh, step up to the challenge and drive to a place where you can walk in a neighborhood or in a community. You could, you could park here at the church and, and there's a walking trail that goes from the park uh, down to that way. And you could walk that trail. I guarantee you, anytime you walk that trail, you're going to see people and you're going to see dogs, people and dogs, 
dogs and people, they're everywhere. And it's a great chance to greet some people as you walk, maybe meet somebody new and learn a name. So go somewhere where you can, you can see people. I think that's walking like Jesus. I think Jesus walked to intentionally choose a slower pace of life so that he could value people over speed and convenience. He could value moments over minutes. This is an opportunity for us to live like Jesus. Why is this so important? Because, first of all, because living like Jesus is normal for a Christian. If you call yourself a Christian, we, we, we're redefining that. Christian doesn't mean I go to church sometimes and I think I'm gonna go to heaven when I die. Christian means I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm a Jesus-centered person. My entire life is built around my choice to follow Jesus. That's what Christian means. So we make sure we're using that word correctly. And if you're a Christian, then this is normal. I'm gonna choose countercultural. I'm gonna choose a slower pace because of the value I think that can bring to my life and the life of other people. And what God promises is when we live this lifestyle, the lifestyle of Jesus, that he will use that to draw people to Christ. God will use it. It's not on you. It's not on you to make people believe in Jesus because you're walking in your neighborhood, okay? That sounds like a stretch. But God can use it to draw people to Jesus because you've chosen a, a lifestyle that stands out. It's countercultural. It's different. And when, when God starts using these opportunities, we, we create some margin and some space in our lives that God can step into and do things. I think we'll see transformation. I think we'll see transformation in the mirror. I think we'll see it in our homes, in our communities, in our church. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that why we're here? I mean, if we're not here to see change happen in our community, what are we doing? I just want to encourage you. We want to see change. We want to see transformation in our, in, our, in our own hearts, in our own homes, and beyond that. And it starts with living like Jesus. So this week, walk like Jesus. It's very simple. Slow reading of Scripture and take a walk. Let's see what God will do with those moments. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the opportunity we have this morning to gather, to pray, to study Scripture, and to be challenged to live like Jesus. And would you work in our hearts, God, to help us accept a slower pace, to anticipate what you can do in the margins that we create, and to trust you that you're gonna bring good when we choose to live like Christ. We thank you for what you're doing in us and through us. And God, may this church family be a city on a hill that all around can see and be drawn to Christ through us. In his name we pray, amen. We're gonna close this morning with a, with a song. I invite you to stand. And we're gonna sing together. But if there's something that challenged you today, uh, either through the music or through our prayer time or communion, uh, and you, you need to or want to take a step of faith, if you wanna join a microchurch or become a part of this family or be baptized into Christ, uh, we would love for you uh, to get in touch with us. You can text respond to this number, or you can just find me or one of the other pastors after the service, and we'd love to talk with you through that. But let's continue to just um, open our hearts up to what the Spirit wants to do and say in us and through us as we prepare to go out and be salt and light in the world.